0: Hello, and welcome to another episode of the CBO Speaks Podcast. I'm your host, Donna Sheely. I want to thank you all for joining us. Today, we have Jeffrey DeWitt, where he is serving as the Chief Financial Officer and Executive Vice Chancellor for Finance at the University of Kansas. Hello, Jeffrey. Hello, how are
1: you? Thank you for having me.
0: I'm so glad that you're with us today. So, Jeffrey, it looks like you've been with the University of Kansas since March of 2021. But before we dive into the great things I know that you're doing there, let's talk about the road that led you to the University of Kansas. Take us all the way back to Eastern Illinois University. Let's go back.
1: We <laughs> go way back. Uh, yeah, I uh, am a native of uh, Illinois. Went, did my uh, my college in, in uh, Eastern Illinois University right out of the military. If we want to go way way back, and went to college here because it was it was free. The issues is affordability, right? So, by being in the military, they had a GI Bill in Illinois, and I got free tuition uh, in those as long as I stayed in Illinois. And I was doing work at um, Southern University for a consulting firm while doing graduate work there. And uh, one of the things that one of the cities I was working for, besides ironically, drought issues in Southern California and water supply issues and across the US, was uh, the city of Phoenix. A job opening came there, and I was uh, went in as a resource analyst in the water department for the city of Phoenix. And over time, I got moved into finance, and I ended up doing a whole bunch of different jobs in finance, treasury, uh, payroll, purchasing, real estate, investments, every category you could have over time. And the CFO passed away, and I became the CFO of the city of Phoenix. Which is the fifth-largest city, so it had doubled in size while I was there. A complicated city you over the airport, water, sewer, you know—all the issues of a large metropolitan city. It was the CFO during the Great Recession there as well? So all the budget cuts that had to be done there, when property values dropped in half, I had to help manage that to get us through uh, through that crisis. We stayed a AAA-rated city. During that process, we did the 25% cuts we had to do. We got through it, got leaner, got more efficient, and actually thrived better after than we probably were before as far as it is to get your head around. And so I recruited or headhunted to go to be the chief financial officer for Washington, D.C., the District of Columbia. It's just a city, county, state, and school district, which is a $20 billion budget. It's equivalent of a city, county, and state altogether. The lottery under the CFO, there, Medicaid, uh, all the uh, anything financial, university, hospital, convention center, 1,700 employees, really big job there. And I did that for seven years and uh, got to the point where I'd asked to have executive coaches for all my team. Uh, they said, Well, you have to do it too. You can't just make them do it. You need to have a coach as well. And we had The team that did NASA's coaching was the people we hired, so they were really, really good. And we explored, what do you do after Washington, D.C.? So Washington, D.C. had been moved to AAA, was resilient, had all new tax systems, everything I wanted to achieve had been done. So we explored what's next, and it was like, well, you know, universities are in a kind of a difficult place. They're in a transitional place of surviving all the cost of, of uh, tuition, uh, you know, being efficient, legislatures are attacking them, congressmen are attacking them. It's a good place to make their skill set. And so I put a resume out to five recruiting firms that were recruiting and one said, hey, you might be a good match for Kansas. And my response is, why would I go to Kansas? It's really cold there, right? <laughs> right. I, I take all that back because it Lawrence is one of the most beautiful cities in, in America. It's one of the best kept secrets. It's just yeah. gorgeous. University is uh, AAU University. I love the people I work with there, so it's, it's been a great fit, and I I love living in Lawrence, uh, in Kansas, and it's just been a great fit. So it was literally uh, what what's next, and you know it seemed to be uh, this seemed to be next. So that's why I'm here. Goodness.
0: Oh, my goodness. Well, that's great. So talk to talk to us a little bit about everything that's under your umbrella there at the University of Kansas.
1: So anything financially. So the financial planning, uh, but budgeting uh, and, and the big one is really financial strategic initiative. I report directly to the chancellor, who's our you know equivalent of a president of the university. And so the provost, myself and the head of the medical center, all three. Executive Provost, so strategic partnering, the new the new stadium that's being built, to a gateway project. Uh, you know, I'm a key person in that. So I work with athletics. So any anything financially, anything planning, anything related to you know from your paycheck to your purchases to your financial reports, um, all those things are under the CFO at, at the University of Kansas. Not not unlike other universities.
0: So talk to me about transitioning from working as a CFO of a city and cities going into this position at a university. I'm sure there were some transferable things. And then there were some things that you got there and were surprised to say, "Okay, this is different. So talk to us a little bit about that.
1: Phoenix is the fifth largest city in the United States and Washington, D.C. is the 20th largest city. So they're big, complex particularly Washington, D.C., you were doing everything from trash pickup to DMV, you know, kind of thing. Universities are differently complex. Financial statements follow the exact same accounting rules in both places. They look exactly the same. The accounting issues are exactly the same. Buying things isn't any different. Uh, The issue probably is culture is different. uh, And that's things that, you know, I had to adapt to going from Phoenix, Arizona to Washington, D.C., that's a culture divide that's hard to even describe uh, there. And it, it is uh, it is realizing how siloed universities are. I think every CFO you talk to, I, I talk to the Big 12 people all the time, AAU peers. It's, you know, every college is its own little university. So it's a multiversity, sometimes the joke is, as much as I university. So it's that... Understand, and Washington DC was pretty siloed too uh, because of how big it was. It had 82 grades. But it's, it's understanding how governance works and how you have to get input from all the different groups, how, how uh, even, even endowment. You, you fundraise for the School of Engineering, you don't fundraise for the university. When donors get money, they rarely give to the university, they usually give to the school they came from. And that is a, is a challenge, and I think this, the issue for our universities to survive, and I, and I mean all of us, not just you know public ones, is be siloed and survive. You have to have a strategic vision together. You have to work together. You have to do things together. If you act siloed, you're the, the chance of surviving all the things coming. I was just very is very slim, and so it is. You know, if you're going to Purchase things. Don't purchase them in a different contract with every dean. Purchase them as a university because economies of scale are so important. Those are things I think every CFO uh, battles with. And everybody has their own course fees and their own endowment funds. And it's making sure we're using all our resources on a priority. So I think the biggest challenge is understanding the siloed and helping people understand working together is better than working alone. And that that's probably the biggest transition from a city where that is kind of naturally, naturally work together because of how you are and you actually don't work together because of how universities has evolved. Unless, unless you have a way to, to make people want to do that.
0: What do you think are some steps? Because I hear this a lot about having that strategic vision and, you know, shared governance. If you're t- working towards that, as a, a CBO, what are some steps? Let's say it is still siloed, and you're trying to, you know, get it to the point where it is shared. What What are some steps that you would recommend that they do to to get it to that place?
1: I think this is the case in both my previous jobs, and and it's the case here. You have to have a, a shared vision of what you want to be and where you want to go, and so that's the the chance. There, the chancellor's role the provost row, and the CFO has to support that. Why, why are we here? What is our purpose? And and if you're not purpose-driven, it's hard to get people to row together, as, as, you, as they say. And what are our challenges? So one of the things, when I had gotten there, there had been 11 budget cuts, 11 years in a row of budget cuts. The state legislature was not raising money or decreasing it. They hadn't been allowed a tuition increase in five years. And those, so 11, imagine, I say this publicly in my presentations. I cannot imagine wondering what was going to be cut every year for 11 years. So they were, they're little to big. I mean, they were just either small cuts or, or big cuts. And obviously during the pandemic, everybody had that challenge until the federal money stepped in. So we have, and this is, this is just standard operating practice for really well run cities, not all of them ones that are AAA rated, they have good, you know, resiliency, they have a five-year plan. They do a five-year budget financial look and a, a strategic plan behind that that says, here's where we're going as a university. You need to align with this. And so we have strategic alignment meetings where we say, what, is, what are you doing to align with the university strategic plan and the vision of where we're going? And you lay out, here's what we have to do to not do budget cuts again. Here's what we have to do to get you to market pay. We can't get to market pay if we're doing budget cuts. So you lay out that picture and lay out what you must do to achieve that picture. You know what, what kind of efficiencies do you need to find? What do you need to do in other initiatives like conference and events is one of ours? How are we going to deploy all our money, not just our state money? You know, how are you going to use your endowment money to uh, improve the mission of the university? How are you going to use your courses? You lay that out and you just pound it in over and over and over again and say, This is where we're going, this is where we are, this is what we must do. If you want to act alone and not focus on this, we're probably gonna cut again. And and we should not we should not go there. So it's that providing that purpose, what we're doing and where we're going and what it looks like, I think is how you do that. And it it works it it works everywhere if you do it. But that's not common practice in universities. It's just not.
0: But it should be. Yeah, for sure. So talk to me a little bit about, you know, since you've worked in government, how the national and regional current events affect the campus and what you pay attention to and where, you know, where your considerations are.
1: So just a a quick note in Washington, D.C., I is an independent office and I reported partially to Congress. Reported to Congress and worked to the mayor and the council. It was an independent position that uh, was responsible for making sure the the District of Columbia stayed financially viable. So you could tell the mayor their legislation couldn't go because it wasn't fiscally funded. And so I was directly on the Hill reporting to different people quite frequently. So yeah, I got a, I got a vision that most people don't probably want, but I would never recommend it. By the way, but. Right. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it's it's difficult being between the local government and the Congress, let alone the local government and the state. But uh, higher ed's under, I mean, this is self evident. You could read the Wall Street Journal a couple of days ago. There's an editorial article slamming, you know, that this is the place where we ruin young people, which is completely not true. Right. Uh, exactly. But the rhetoric is out there, and it's it's often politically popular to attack, you know, DEIB programs or or, uh, or how curriculums being taught or wh- why we're not affordable and there's a there's a stat that's that's coming. I'll get to the politic question in a minute. We talk about this at the Higher Learning Commission. in 2025 across the country, there's going to be fewer 18 year olds going to college because during a lot fewer because the uh, during the Great Recession people didn't have children and it's now 18 years later. And so it's not like a debatable fact. After 2025, the number, you know, the state of Illinois alone is going to have a nine percent drop in high school graduates, uh, you know, in the next ten years uh, because they're just not they're not being born. They weren't born. And then there's a there's a, a, a poll done in 2011 or 20, 20, 2013 said roughly 52 percent of the people think we're worth the value. That's dropped to forty-one percent. Think of value. So not only are there fewer graduates, they don't really see higher ed as a value. So that's an easy target that we're unaffordable by legislators, or we're polluting the minds of young people by, let you know all these things that we have to we have to deal with. We can't ignore. So you know when you consider a tuition increase, you have to consider can you find a way to get student aid to help those people who can't afford it? If you have a housing increase, how's that compared to the market? So we as CB, uh, chief business officers, CFOs, whatever we're called, wherever we are, have to think about affordability to the student. And so, you know, one of the things we've done is that we hadn't had before is we now you can do a payment plan during the semester as opposed to having to come with the big lump number, you know, as soon as you get into class and pay your tuition and You don't we hound you the whole time that you're late on payments. Well, you can have a payment plan on that, which, you know, that's just how most people live, right? If you're working in college, you may not have that big lump of money. You may be taking a portion out of your paycheck every period. So making more people can afford it and making it where they graduate on time. So if we take eight years to graduate somebody, we are a right target. You know, if if 50% of the people come here, don't graduate. Okay, we made them worse than they were before they came here. So, you know, retention, graduation, affordability, that's what we have to have to protect ourselves from the attacks that we're we're coming under. Because people would say we're not of value. And it's really self-evident if you get a degree. I'm a first-generation college student. My parents did, you know, graduated high school and they were done. Grew up in a small town in southern Illinois. I make a lot more money than, you know, people that I graduated with that, you know, just got a high school degree. Uh, And and it does almost Uh, everyone. One of the reasons why I came to higher ed is I believe it's critical to the survival of democracy. I'm just going to be corny for a second, right? For success. Having an educated population that thinks critically, they can recognize things that aren't real when they see and can think critically. It's, that's the most important thing we can do. And being a CFO and helping people get through working with the provost and the chancellor to work on retention and affordability and all those things. So people graduate and have a better life. That's what, if you don't do that well, you are going to get attacked. And we are. And the polls show it. And the fact that people are considering whether they should go to college or not, that's sad in my, in my, so. If we don't get that right, we're going to just keep getting our punch to us, as they say.
0: That's a great point about the democracy. And speaking of that, um, are you over security and safety as well? Is that part of your?
1: I do not have that one. The CFO does, but that—that is—that's one. And just to to add a comment on that, Phoenix had a a big police force. Washington D.C. did, obviously, campuses do, and the challenges there are all the things going on in the world in the last, since COVID, you know, and before it's really hard to find police officers. And it's really hard whenever you're in a metropolitan area near Kansas city, when a city pays a police officer more, our police officers will go take that job. So you really have to watch your market pay and your work to keep a, a police force. We had to do a fairly large adjustment because we were losing people because Johnson county did these big increases of in pay so you uh, you know I don't have it under me but i I'm involved in a day to day because of uh, of issues like that
0: yeah are there any other workforce related challenges that you all face besides that <laughs> I know with with everything going on you know I know that is also a concern
1: well well it's it's an issue you know we we had a an annual big 12 conference we were in uh in lubbock texas uh texas tech hosted and in the big 12 the uh, all of us that including the new people coming in the big 12 is really i don't know the big 16 or 18 right now whatever it is with all the universities joining we had a, a discussion about this and market pay is we okay hey you 11 years of budget cuts Do you think we kept up on pay adequately where we we're doing that and you know, so it's it's losing your top researchers to the private sector or to another, you know, AAU university and, you know, make, you know, people need to be feel appreciated and people need to feel like they're being adequately compensated for their lifelong, particularly in higher ed. You go to school for a long time. You know, if you're at the medical center and you're a, a faculty there, you probably went for a really long time because you got, you know, a, a medical degree as well. You did. And all that type of thing. So the the really priority initiative we have is we've done a market pay study of our staff and admin. We're looking entirely about how we compensate our faculty and you know how we reward them for moving up the ladder and how we re- how we make sure they're at market. So we're fixing those studies up. And our goal is as we as we take care of the structural deficits that we've had and get to where we don't have to do budget cuts, is taking anything we can find through. You know, not filling a position we don't need to a process improvement we do that saves money and banking that and putting it into market pay so we can get to the point where we can say to everyone, you are paid at the market relative to the your peer group. So you we don't want people to say they're underpaid. We want them to know we value you and we're paying you properly. If you don't address that, you're gonna continually have workforce problems. If you're not paying a living wage to your groundkeepers. Your landscape's not gonna look real pretty because they're gonna go work somewhere else in the, in the market. So it's all the way from the groundskeepers to the, you know, distinguished professor doing research. You gotta know what the market is and you gotta know you're paying fairly. That's a really big priority that we have going on right now. And everybody, everybody's dealing with this. It's not just news.
0: So what do you with all of that going on, you know, that you talked about, what do you see as the future for higher ed i mean you're feeling optimistic i'm sure talk to me a little bit about that with with everything and the and the negative talk and you know these workforce issues what do you see as the future of higher ed
1: the future of higher ed which is what we're working on at, at KU is you know the economic engine of kansas whether anyone likes to hear this or not is higher education we train the workforce that works at the top engineers at the new Panasonic battery plant—that's you know 15 miles away—that you can see from the top of Mount Orien, where the you know where the Welcome Center is—you can see the plant from from the top of the campus. And you know, we're the workforce that we're the people that uh, one of the former associates at uh, the medical center is one of the people that, that created the COVID vaccine. You know, he's on the front of Time magazine or one of those that and and so. We're critical to the success of the economy. And that's another point you make to legislators. And as you know, we, we are the future workforce. We're the people that create the smart people that help solve the problems of, of the country and, and of the state of Kansas. And so it is, it is building that research up so that you can contribute those things from, you know, vaccines for COVID to, uh, to the next battery that lasts longer in a, in a car to, uh, dealing with climate issues by having better refrigerants that so don't, you know, deplete the ozone, though that's a real project going on at KU, to finding hydrogen energy to replace, you know, uh, all those things universities do. And so you've got to make sure you're in a place where you attract pe- quality people and pay them fairly. So you need to provide the facilities that research can occur at if you're a research university. To have facilities that are of a quality that they want to go to, and all those things are things we're working toward. You know, and we had the har- largest enrollment in the history of KU last year because of that. we were looking at strategic enrollment. We're trying to do those things by having visions and a strategic plan to get all that going. That is what makes your state great, and you can go to any state and look at their flagship, or even you know their their land uh, grant universities or. Other universities, you're educating the population. You're providing the research that spurs new technology that brings jobs into your state. That's the, and you have an obligation to get people in and let them help them graduate to contribute to that. So I think it's very bright, but we can't do what we've always done the way we've done it, or we can't, or we won't, there's going to be many universities that won't survive. If they, if they don't change. And I don't want to be one of those that doesn't change. And that's that's a rapid uh painful <laughs> and and draining sometimes uh, effort that's going on here. And and we talk about that at uh, you know with the uh, the Big 12, you know, we're talking about you gotta have financial systems uh place to do all this. So the future is really bright. We have to change because the world is changing, and you know, those 50% that maybe didn't graduate from some university. We need to create a system to get them back in, to give them the credentials and the education that they need to advance in their workplace and contribute to the economy. I'm really passionate about the purpose of, of higher ed. And I think the future's bright, but we have to be different. We can't be what we've always been.
0: I like that. Got to be different and, and have to really think about how to formulate that message to get it out to people so they'll know that you're doing things different. 'Cause if you don't do that, then they're just thinking you're doing business as usual. Change is hard. It is. It's very hard. It is hard. So well speaking of that, let's talk about you personally and your your <laughs> horizon and what you see for your future. I, I I'm hearing that you're you're loving where you are right now, of course, and, and you're seeing great change and wonderful things there. So talk a little bit a little bit about your future.
1: Well, I, I was at Phoenix for twenty-five years, uh from a entry level position to the CFO there. I was at DC for seven, a little over seven years, which is totally long enough. And so this is probably my last long rodeo, as you say. Yeah. <laughs> so, there's a lot that needs to get done at KU and in higher ed. And so being a part of that from a new gateway project that is a transformational Economic development, state multi-use stadium that does has conferences built into it, unlike any university in the country. To getting research facilities right, to getting pay right, uh, to doing all the things that we need to do. So that's gonna take a few years, and then after that, I'll hop on my motorcycle and ride across the country over and over again until uh, you know. <laughs> so, so that's a ways away. But
0: <laughs> I love it. I love it. Oh, that's great. Well, you know what? Thank you so much for your time today and your wisdom. You shared so, so much. You have such a vast knowledge from you know the government to working in the university system, so I know this is going to be very valuable for a lot of people, so thank you so much.
1: Thank you for having me. It was a pleasure. Thank you.
0: Yes, yes. And thank you all for joining us today for this episode of CBO Speaks, brought to you by the National Association of College and University Business Officers. You can find resources for today's episode, as well as a wide variety of research and tools at nakubo.org. Make sure you subscribe to CBO Speaks wherever you get your podcasts so that you can get the latest episodes instantly. And on behalf of Jeffrey DeWitt from the University of Kansas, I want to thank you for joining us on CBO Speaks. I'm Donna Sheely. Be well. CBL Speaks is a production of the National Association of College and University Business Officers. Audio engineered by Andy Nelson and True Story FM. Music by Michael Bean. Post-production support by Janelle Dempsey. And I'm your host, Donna Shealy. Thank you for listening.